There's a time and a place for black and white, like when you're learning to play piano, or when you want a big two-toned cookie, or when shopping for a pet zebra. But if you want to attract customers, there's no room for black and white, so go to Staples. Staples specializes in bold, hard-to-miss color printing. And now at Staples, get 20% back in rewards on color printing, from banners to brochures and copies to presentations. Print more color, save more money at Staples. In-store only. Ends 11 10, 18. Restrictions apply. See store associate or staples.com slash 20 back for details. Blog Talk Radio. Oh, mama, I'm in fear for my life from the long arm of the law. Got miles to go before we sleep. Lawman is putting into my running and I'm so far from my We will not go gently. We're going to unleash hell here in December. Oh, mama, I can hear you crying. You're so scared and all alone. Hey, somebody fix this guy's buckle. Hey, you play football. coming down from the gallows and I don't have very long. Ladies and gentlemen of Steeler Nation, welcome back to another edition, another round of sound, if you will, of Steelers Talk. This is Behind the Steel Curtain's flagship podcast, The Standard is the Standard. My name is Jeff Hartman. I'm the editor of BehindTheSteelCurtain.com. And with me, as always, is my co-host, Lance Williams. How's it going out there on the West Coast? Color Rush, Lance. I'm just chilling like a Color Rush villain. That's what I'm doing out on the West Coast. Uh, and you know what? Uh, if for anyone that might be hearing some things that sound a little weird, it, it, we apologize if there's some technical difficulties going on right now with our with our server. But at the same time, this is live, so uh, by all means, bear with us. And if you want to call into the show, you can three four seven eight five zero eight five eight one again three four seven eight five zero eight five eight one. Now, as we always do, or we have in two thousand and sixteen, we're going to hold all the calls until the end of the show. We have a full line up to get through um, and we're going to get through everything but we're going to get your calls at the end so let's get right to things Lance uh, we're, today was a funny day uh, from one, running the website you know I constantly get messages from some of my writers uh, hey did you see this news did you see that news I, that happened three times today there were three breaking news stories and we're going to talk about them in the order that they happened meaning the most recent to the oldest and the most recent news story was that the Steelers picked up quarterback Zach Mettenberger, formerly of the San Diego Chargers, formerly of the Tennessee Titans, formerly of LSU. Okay, and you might remember Mettenberger. He played in that Monday Night Football game for the Titans. He was the quarterback when the Steelers went down there and won on Monday Night Football. It was a really weird game. Mettenberger's first pass was a pick six to uh, Willie Gay most likely be remembered as the LeGarrette Blunt quitting game because that was the game that he walked out. Remember, Le'Veon Bell just ran up and down the field, and he basically walked out on the team after that. But nonetheless, Mettenberger gets picked up on waivers. Bruce Gradkowski gets released or gets put on injured reserve. 
freeing up the space on the 75-man roster. I want to know what your first reaction was to the news, and then what do you think this is a future move, meaning beyond 2016, or if this is just a Band-Aid for this year to try to fill out the quality depth chart at the quarterback position? First, I'd like to send big shout-out to Bruce Brackowski. And let me do it by doing this, simply. <laughs> He's done. His career's over. The Mittenberger move fills out the roster. It's a wait and see as to if he's going to be someone that they're going to try to develop for the future. But right now, he just fills out the roster. He gives them a third guy that has a little bit of NFL experience, has a couple of starts, has a lot of physical potential. Uh, he's a guy that was highly touted coming out of LSU but had some off-the-field issues, which really affected his status coming out. And he's a guy that's a big, strong-armed, country boy, pocket passer, classic slinger that uh, in an offense like theirs, you know, you're going to need somebody that can deliver the football. But I would imagine if the Steelers had to ever call upon Mettenberger, they would probably be going out to try to sign somebody else. And I doubt that he's going to be active, if at all, uh, during the season. He's just filling out the roster right now. And I would suspect he's going to get a lot of snaps and reps in the game tomorrow. Uh, well, Mettenberger's not even going to be with the team um, tomorrow. They said that they announced the Steelers PR department announced that he's not even going to be with the, the Steelers until they get okay. back from the game on Thursday. Um, so you're going to see a lot of Bryn Renner tomorrow night. And we're going to talk about that game, and I'm not really excited to have to watch that for the website, but that's part of the job. I understand that. But here's the thing about Mettenberger. People on Twitter especially, and, and I'm not even talking about Facebook. Facebook is the worst in my opinion, Twitter is a close second. People suggesting that the, the Steelers signing Mettenberger meant that they were going to cut Landry Jones. Folks, they're not going to cut Landry Jones. If they haven't cut Landry Jones yet, they're never going to cut Landry Jones. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to re-sign him after this final year in his rookie contract, but by all means, just because they pick up a guy like Zach Mettenberger, who's never won a game that he started in the National Football League, does not equate to the end of the road for Landry Jones. Could it mean that in 2017? Maybe. But right now, there were people suggesting that the Steelers were going to then just give Mettenberger the number two spot and send Landry Jones on his way. Mettenberger doesn't know any of the players probably. Maybe a couple he might have played against in college or with in college. But other than that, he doesn't know any plays, the playbook at all. And everyone always points to Mike Vick last year coming in. But that just shows how bad Landry Jones was at the time. I feel like Landry Jones is better now. He's more equipped to be the backup. But let's be honest here, Lance. If Mettenberger even has to dress for a game, the Steelers are royally effed, if you know what I mean. Because that means that Ben Roethlisberger is not in the lineup. So while everyone wants to bitch and moan about Zach Mettenberger signing on the last day of August in 2016 – it really is a moot point based on the fact that if he plays, the Steelers' season is probably over. Jeff, I'm going to blame you. I'm not going to bash Steelers fans and our listeners. This is your fault. 
I'm, I'm going to blame you because <laughs> you, for, you, you forget who you do a website for. You do a website for Pittsburgh Steelers fans. Come on, man. <laughs> you know Steelers fans are going to overreact. Come on, man. Yeah, they do every <laughs> time. That's all they do. It gets tiring. <laughs> Come on, Jeff. You're joy. You can never lose the nickname. You can never get down. Come on now. Now, hold on. I'm not down. I like the signing. I wrote an article in mid-May when the Tennessee Titans cut ties with Mettenberger and Brian Hoyer was still being floated around. And I tweeted this out on the Behind the Steel Curtain Twitter account. You can follow us at BT Steel Curtain. I, I, I said this, this article was basically saying that the Steelers should look at him to bolster their quarterback depth. Not to be the starter, not to be the future, not to even unseat Landry Jones, but because he has experience, he could learn from Roethlisberger. He's a very similar style quarterback as Roethlisberger, maybe not as mobile, but he needs to be under a quarterback maybe like Roethlisberger because maybe he just needs to mature a little bit. Maybe he needs to learn from someone like that. I I think this is a great signing. I, I just am saying that from people, folks that are saying that this is somehow meaningful to the 2016 season, it really isn't. Like you said, he's just filling out the depth chart. If they are looking at Zach Mettenberger to quarterback this team, then there's a good chance that the season is it has gone to hell in a handbasket, so to speak. So, um, that was. You have anything else to say about Mettenberger before we move on, Lance? It's interesting that you talk about the article because me and my dad talk Steelers football all the time, and Mettenberger is one of those guys that he's had his eye on ever since he was coming out of LSU as a guy that the Steelers could groom. And he loved the fact that Mettenberger had the off-the-field issues and dropped because he thought Mettenberger was an incredible value for the Steelers. And, you know, it just so happens that he's going to be a Pittsburgh Steeler. My dad loved Mettenberger, and he, lo- he loved Josh Freeman. That Josh Freeman was another guy that was so down in his career that you have a guy with first-round talent that you could basically give a bag of chips and a permani sandwich and he would come in and play for you. Uh, so I think it's definitely one of those solid signings. I, mean, I don't know if it's a great signing. He's a depth guy, but it's definitely a solid move. They have a third quarterback, which they need because they didn't. And it's a guy that has talent and a guy that has 10 starts under his belt. And I don't know if you can get more than that for a number three start. Absolutely. And so Mettenberger is now a part of the Steelers. As I mentioned earlier in the show, if you were late and didn't hear it, Mettenberger will not be traveling to Carolina with the Steelers. He will not be meeting them there. He'll meet them back in Pittsburgh when they return, probably Thursday night. And then he will be probably, well, I would assume that he's going to be the number three quarterback for the duration of the 2016 season, barring an injury to one of the other two quarterbacks. But that wasn't the only news today. There was other news. And that news surrounded one James Harrison, and that was the National Football League, came out and said that after their investigation of James Harrison, Julius Peppers, and Clay Matthews, both of the Green Bay Packers, they found that there was no substantial evidence stating that James Harrison was guilty in terms of the Al Jazeera PED report. And so they've been cleared of all charges, just as Peyton Manning was uh, earlier this offseason. Um I, I doubt you have much many thoughts on this. It's kind of cut and dry, but I want to see if, if you had any thoughts about this situation, about 
Harrison being cleared and, and honestly telling that it seemed like he told the truth. Um, what are your thoughts on the fact that the NFL came out and said that? Well, I'm going to quote James Harrison himself. And if you guys are on Snapchat, and Jeff, thank you for turning me on to it, following Antonio Brown's Snapchat, which is great because he does some exercises and some balancing stuff that lets you know why business is booming. And he was interviewing Debo, a.k.a., or James Harrison, a.k.a. Debo, a.k.a. Two Glocks, on the team bus as they were traveling to Carolina. And James Harrison said, quote, they didn't find anything. The story was straight up bull. You know what it is. And so that's what he said, and that's pretty much what the story was. It, this was all much to do about nothing, and a lot of it was probably you could rest at the feet of James Harrison. Had he just cooperated a lot earlier, it would have gone away a lot earlier. But because of his disdain for Roger Goodell, and we all understand why he has that disdain, he decided to just take shots to Goodell and the NFL in the news and let it ride out. But we predicted that James Harrison would be starting against the Washington Redskins on September 12th, and indeed he is. All right, ladies, we're having a hard time hearing you here. I'm going to ask you to call back quickly and uh, – and we'll get you back on the air. Uh, there's some technical difficulties there. Hopefully it's his connection. Um, but still, as he was saying, um, James Harrison was cleared. And, and there's a good chance that um, – I, I think there's a, there's a really good chance, actually, that James Harrison's angst towards the commissioner had a lot to do with the duration and, and this being uh, kind of drug out for the long haul. And the, But what it does – it didn't necessarily need to happen that way. Uh, when the NFL announced that it was going to interview all three of these players that are current players, now they did interview Peyton Manning prior to training camp starting, and he was cleared almost immediately. Everyone thought that the other players would follow suit. The NFLPA steps in. It's a little bit more complicated than just interviewing, but they end up doing it later. And thankfully, I think everyone can speak for it. I know myself can say this. Thankfully, it's done now. Uh, it's over with before the regular season. They've been clear. There's no pending suspension for not having interviewed and all that good stuff. And so that's that. That's a wrap. Put a ribbon on. Put a bill on. And honestly, I got to be honest. I don't think that you know this. This at one time was the most talked about story in the National Football League. If you think back to 2015, it was midway through the year. Peyton Manning is rehabbing a foot injury in, in Denver and they're going to the practice facility when the team is on the road and he's getting emotional about these allegations. Everybody's talking about it. And now boom, it's just gone. It's just gone. There's nothing more to say. There's not enough credible, credible. It's, there's just not enough evidence. I mean, it's James Harrison's name was just said once. And so it's just kind of strange. It's just the way that the National Football League works. It's kind of more TMZ than it is NFL anymore. But um, it's over with. It's done with. Uh, Lance should be back on the air on the, on the line with us. And I want to talk about our next breaking news because I think James Harrison's kind of, you know, put it all behind you. And this involves Lance. You were saying that you follow Antonio Brown on Snapchat now, right? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. Fantastic Snapchat. And it is entertaining. He. he 
he snaps a lot. Um, a lot of just him looking at himself, which is kind of strange to me. Uh, but he does show like his workouts. Uh, he does show, uh, you know, things like on the team bus. He'll even show you some in- stuff, some film in the meeting rooms, which I think is really neat. Is you show, you hear the coaches talking, the the coaches films up on the screen, and they're rewinding. If you have Snapchat, and if you don't have Snapchat, you should. But if you do have Snapchat, uh, follow Antonio Brown, follow James Harrison, follow Le'Veon Bell. Those are the three that use that uh, platform the most. But Antonio Brown on Snapchat today, he actually was in a conference room with Drew Rosenhaus, his agent, his sports agent, and he basically snapped out the video and they showed the contract. He said, new deal coming, and that was it. Now, (laughs) I didn't see this until after he had already tweeted it out and other news sources were tweeting out that he had gotten a new con well, not a new contract, but they restructured his current deal, which certainly slides some money around. Ultimately, they took some money from 2017. They moved it to 2016. He's making $10.25 million this season, which puts him definitely at the top of the list in terms of amount of money made in 2016 for wide receivers. And the Steelers reportedly guaranteed him a new contract before next season. So that's how they were able to move that money. Uh, Lance, what were your thoughts when you heard about, this is the second time they've done this, mind you. They did this last year before 2015 as well. What were your thoughts on the the, the new contract for for AB? Um, I, I say new contract. It's not a new deal. It's just moving money around. What were your thoughts on the salary cap implications and just the fact that they are taking care of their own? Uh, that's kind of the Steelers' way, in my opinion. What were your thoughts? Well, this was the ideal way for both parties to save face. The Steelers are not giving a non-quarterback guy a new deal two years out, so they stay true to their core business philosophy in terms of contracts. And they also reward Antonio Brown with additional money, put some more money in his pocket. So, you know, what ended up happening was probably one of the worst-kept secrets. Essentially, when Antonio Brown said he wasn't going to hold out and he wasn't going to make a stink, you knew that something was going to happen. And both parties basically knew at the start of the season that, you know, he was unhappy with his contract, and the Steelers knew he was unhappy with his contract, and they knew that he outperformed it. So we all had the idea that something was going to happen. But the neat thing about what happened, and I'm just keeping this in round numbers, is they were able, if, I, if my calculations are correct, because according to if nothing had happened, Antonio Brown's cap number would have been about $12.3 million, his cap number. I think they were able to reduce his cap number, if my calculations are right, by about close to you know, 600000 they basically gave him a raise in keeping the cap number around the same. And they were able to do that because of the $10.25 million, they gave him almost $9 million of that as a signing bonus which allowed them to split that over the course of the last two years of the deal in proration. And so you have a proration of about four and a half. You have a six million proration currently. That puts you at ten and a half, and they gave him about 1.2. So that puts him at about 11.7 if my calculations are correct. So they actually saved a little bit of money and gave Antonio Brown some money. And with the other restructures, 
I think they're going to still figure out a way to get David DeCastro uh, a new contract. But business is booming. We all know it. They know it. He knows it. So I'm glad that it got done. You know, you need to play football with a clear mind and be happy and have a free spirit because it's a physical tough game. And you don't want to be disgruntled in a locker room having to give your all and give your physical commitment and mental commitment to that sport. So I'm glad that it got done. And, uh, Jeff, why don't you promote your own brand? I mean, I know that AB's on Snapchat, but, hey, we need to follow Jeff Hartman on Snapchat. What's up? Follow Jeff Hartman on Snapchat. <laughs> 530 yeah, if you want to follow me, you let's can. Let's go. Uh, Hitman, Hitman Hard 21. That's that's my that's my tag on Snapchat. If you want to hit me up and, and see photos of my family, I guess. But still, um, Lance and I are certainly Snapchat followers of each other. But nonetheless, I will say that um, I, I did like the one thing I liked about this is that Antonio Brown played by the rules. Okay, he didn't hold out. He didn't complain to the media. He did say he wanted a new deal, but I thought he did it in a very respectful way. He said, I'm, I'm not going to hold out. I'm not going to be disgruntled. I'm going to show up to work. That's what I do, and I'm going to make sure that I show the Roonies that this is my job, and I take it very seriously. And I think that if he would have taken a different approach, think, um, who was it, DeAndre Hopkins and, te- and with the Texans who sat out for maybe two days of Houston – Houston Texans training camp before reporting because he's unhappy with his current contract. Brown did it the right way. Brown did it in a way that he said, you know what? I'm going to show up. I'm going to be the guy that's going to lead by example. And the Steelers said, you know what? We're going to pay you. We're going to give you what you want. We're going to get you that money. And then next year we promise you we're going to get you a new deal. I was super happy that they were able to work out something that's going to keep him happy. And I was really excited to hear that they're going to really focus on him next year It'll be interesting to see what next year's contract looks like for Brown in terms of years, duration mainly, as well as signing bonus and yearly salary. Uh, I'm, he's, a, he's a wide receiver, and so because of that, there's a good chance he's going to want to be the highest paid wide receiver. But then again, there's another part of me that thinks that maybe he will take what he thinks is fair, what he thinks is right for the team. Maybe he'll take some guidance and some advice from other players that have been in that situation. Although if people were talking about Ben Roethlisberger, he's gotten a lot of money with every new contract he's gotten since he's been a rookie in the league. Uh, What are your expectations, Lance, of Antonio Brown's next contract? Do you think he goes for the highest paid wide receiver or do you think ultimately he just takes what he thinks is fair in terms of length, value, worth, and what's going to work best for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Hey, Jeff, business is booming. You know what's fair for Antonio Brown? I'm the best wide receiver in football. Pay me like it. That's what's fair. Business is booming. He's trying to break the bank. He's not giving a cent back next year. And, uh, you know, that deal is going to be, north of Des Bryant and Demarius Thomas's deal. And I think their deals are around five years, 70, five years in the 70 range. Uh, you know, I, I think Antonio Brown's going to try to average, um, you know, about 18 per, 18, 19 per, close to that. Because um, I, I don't have, the, I can't pull up over the cap right now, but 
he's going to be the highest paid wide receiver in the National Football League if he puts up another season like last year. Business is booming. He wants all his money. Because in the football game, you'll be out of business very shortly, uh, you know, with a catastrophic injury or something like that. So he's breaking the bank. He's not giving them any discounts. And and the thing is, too, is that you're not talking about a player that is in the discussion as being the best at what he does. I think most people by now, after the last three seasons, admit he's the best, period. Like, there's no really discussion. There's no real debate. Like, this guy is the best. And so he's going to want the best money. Now, what this does now for me is I approaching the 2016 season, there were three names of, of players that we all thought they're going to look for new contracts or to increase revenue in Antonio Brown's case. Antonio Brown was one of them. Le'Veon Bell was another. And David DeCastro was the third. And I don't think it would necessarily be in that order. But now all of a sudden you've seen the Steelers have restructured two players that have been made public. They might have restructured others that it's just not been made public. That was uh, Marcus Gilbert and Mike Mitchell. Then they go ahead and give Vince Williams a new contract extension of two years. Now they give Antonio Brown his deal. I think it's safe to say Le'Veon Bell, the Steelers, wisely are going to take a wait-and-see approach to him. They could always franchise him if they wanted. But there's that last name, David DeCastro, the guard, the right guard for the Steelers. Wrote an article. I wrote an article today about it, how time is running out. That doesn't mean that they're out of time. They have plenty of time to get a deal done, but ultimately it comes down to whether the two sides can find the, the basically the middle ground do you think they get a deal done with the Castro? And if so, do you think he kind of mirrors Cam Hayward's deal from 2015, which was six years? Um, I, th- I want to say it was north of about of about 30. It was, it was above 50 million, I think, for six years of work. What do you see as that situation plays out? Is he next? Will he get it done? And how much do you think it'll be? Um, I hate to say the number because I don't have the deals. I know the guard. I think it's Asimwele. I know I'm pronouncing his name wrong because uh, it took me a year to get Martavis right, and he, and he got paid astronomical money from the Raiders. Uh, but I think the Castro will be paid top five right guard money. Uh, I think it'll be over five years, and I do think they're going to get the deal done. The Steelers typically, with players that they covet, they typically don't make them play out deals because then he's on the open market. And I don't think they want to franchise a guard to protect to protect themselves because, you know, they may have to franchise Le'Veon, uh, uh, you know, Le'Veon. So uh, I think they're going to get something done. They have a couple of weeks before the 12th. Uh, and so I, I think they will get some stuff done. I mean, there's plenty of time to do restructures. Uh, they'll probably dip into the bank of Ben Roethlisberger, who has a high paragraph five number and multiple years left on his deal that they could throw on the back end. So if they need the money, they'll just go to the bank of Ben, and Ben will gladly take a check, and it'll go something like, hey, Ben, we need to get the cash flow done, man. Can we give you $5 million right now and just reduce your number to about, you know, $2.5 million? Sure, make it six. Let's do it. And they'll sign Ben a $6 million check, and he'll go to practice. And uh, the day will be a great day. So if they want to get it done, they can get it done. And, and I suspect that they will. He's their best offensive lineman, better than even Marquise Pouncey. 
And, uh, you know, you want to keep Kelsey Gilbert and DeCastro together. They have the makings of a very, a very good offensive line moving forward. And you've got Villanueva, who's young. If he continues to progress and play as well as he did in the Saints game, then you have a dominant offensive line moving forward. And you've got uh, – and, and you have everybody locked up for several more years. So I, I think they see that. They realize what it is, and I think they'll get it done. And as far as Antonio Brown and the way he handled this negotiation, he had no choice. The Steelers weren't going to pay anybody that doesn't show up for work. And they're not bluffing when they mean that. They have never required you to come back to work and report before they're going to do a contract. They've done it for years, and they don't waver. So there isn't any, you know, negotiation tactic that Drew Rosenhaus and his team can do to the Steelers. It's like, look, man, we're not going to pay him if he sits out, period. We're not going to discuss a deal. That's it. Until he comes to work, he doesn't play for us. So, you know, he had to do it that way, but he didn't have to do it that way. So business is booming, and I commend him from handling it in a professional fashion. Absolutely. And so it'll be interesting to see uh, what happens here with the David DeCastro contract situation. I feel if, if they can get DeCastro locked up, long-term deal, we're talking five to six years, um, I think that not only the offensive line that you mentioned, but also, I mean, the fact that they should now, you're looking at Antonio Brown's at least content for this year. You're focused on Le'Veon Bell next year. Antonio Brown's new contract next year, it kind of eliminates one of those factors heading in to next season. So let's also now talk about the football game that happened on Friday night. It was the first time and the only time that the Pittsburgh Steelers starters saw the field. Ben Roethlisberger, D'Angelo Williams, Le'Veon Bell, Antonio Brown, you name the crew, you know who they are. They came out and boy, did they put on a show. Um, ben Roethlisberger and shockingly the no huddle offense, or at least the muddle huddle as they call it, went to work. Two drives, two touchdowns. One was a very long, time-consuming drive that ended in a Jesse James touchdown reception. The second wasn't as long or time-consuming as Roethlisberger threw a beautiful touch pass to Antonio Brown down the left sideline, which he caught and raced into the end zone for a 57-yard score. I know that we were texting during the game, Lance, and after that first touchdown drive, we said the same thing. I've seen enough. I don't need to see any more. And yet they came back out, and they just drove down. My question for you is, Lance, and we're going to talk about the defense because I thought the defense played a pretty good game as well. Is this what we should expect from the Steelers' offense from week one through week 16 if everyone stays healthy? Like, is this legitimately the offense that we're going to see in terms of they're going to, they, could, they can score every single time they get the football, whether they're pinned back in their own zone or whether they have good field position. Like, is this what this is going to be, or is this just kind of like one of those, well, think back to last preseason when they played the Jaguars and Ben went to Bryant, Martavis Bryant, I think the first play or second play, and uh, everyone just freaked out. I mean, what are your thoughts on this? I know it's the preseason. Take it with a grain of salt, but that was impressive. Listeners, have you ever watched the movie Goodfellas? The movie with Henry Hill, the mob movie. Uh, if you guys remember the godfather of that particular mob family, Paulie, Paulie's attitude when he gave the guy uh, the bar alone and the guy couldn't pay him or had to pay him, his attitude was come out with an F you pay me attitude like they did against the Saints. And think about it, listeners. 
although it's preseason. Disney hadn't played a snap in preseason. They're on a road in a noisy dome. They go no huddle, F you pay me, sling it around the field, bang, bang, two touchdowns, beat, holler, I'm out of here. If they put the pedal to the metal like that, with that offensive line giving them the type of pass protection that he received in that game and with those weapons, it's going to be F you pay me on offense this year. And I want to apologize to you, Jeff, because I think I got it completely wrong. They might have found another wide receiver in Eli Rogers, and he just might be the slot receiver like you suggested because Ben threw it to him at least five times, and he's only thrown the ball 17 times in the preseason. So that tells you that yeah. he already has a trust in an Eli Rogers already, A.B. Light. Yeah. Eli, yeah. a.k.a. Yeah, now- A.B. Light. <laughs> now the funny thing is, is that tomorrow you're going to see a, on BehindTheSteelCurtain.com uh, a film room study that I actually wrote uh, for the website on Eli Rogers, his progression through the preseason, and focusing on his performance against the Saints. So everyone that's listening will have to check that out tomorrow. But I mean, how impressive is it that the Steelers come out with the starters? They put Eli Rogers on the field, but this isn't just for your standard offense. This is the no huddle offense, Lance. This is not your, you know, they're not holding stuff back in the no huddle. Ben Roethlisberger has to have full trust and full faith in you as a receiver to go where you're supposed to go, to do what you're supposed to do, and ultimately to get the job done. And when you watched Eli Rogers play, he looked like he belonged. He still has some work to do in terms of some of the finer things that I'm sure Antonio Brown's going to teach him uh, along the way. But this is a, a guy that in the no huddle offense, they went with, Shotgun formation, that's nothing new. They kept the tight end on the field. Three wide receiver sets. Uh, Eli Rogers stayed on that tight end side the entire time, so on the heavy side. And ultimately, Roethlisberger did not shy away from using him across the middle. Rogers made some tough catches across the middle. He's not afraid of contact. He runs really good routes. And he was on the field, not Sammy Coates, not Darius Hayward Bay. It was Wheaton, Brown, Rogers. I'm not saying he's going to start. I'm not saying he's going to play more than the other receivers I just named, but I'm saying he's going to have a pack of good plays that he is going to be a part of, and it could very well be that no huddle. I was, I've was i been super impressed with him as no. That just kind of sealed the deal for me. This guy is not about the well, – we you know, is he going to make the 53? Now, he's making the 53, and he's going to be making plays this year, my friend. Yes, he is. I mean, just think of it this way, Jeff. I mean – then go to the guy on the third and ten. They convert. I mean, you got Antonio Brown, Le'Veon Bell on the field. He goes to Eli Rogers in the slot, gets the ten. Bang. Let's keep the sticks moving. Let's go. I mean, yeah. you know, that was a I great mean, first drive, too, not... because Jesse James scores a touchdown, too. And that's a guy that's been much maligned. And we all know that Ladarius Green has been put on the pup list, won't be back at least for six weeks. So hopefully that should make Steelers fans as well that in the red zone that Jesse James can deliver and make a play as well. So this is just booming on the offensive side of football. Now, this isn't to cut on Eli Rogers because, as you know, I, I like the guy, the kid a lot. I think he has a lot of potential. He could really add a unique perspective and unique advantage to that slot position in the Steelers' offense. Ben Roethlisberger did say after the game, I could throw it to Ant- I could have thrown it to Antonio Brown every time. Now that could say a lot about the Saints' secondary, 
But that also says that, uh, you know, he's trying to move the ball around. The funny thing is, is he's looking for other receivers and still scoring two, two touchdowns in two drives. So, like you said, business is booming for the Steelers' offense. I think they could be – I'm going to say it. I'll say it right now. And I know you know I'm a very optimistic guy. I think this could be the best offense in the National Football League, period, if everyone stays healthy once Le'Veon Bell gets back because they are just that dynamic. Now, if you want to chime in on the offense, you can, but I want to really get your thoughts on the defense because I know you're a defense-minded guy. You watch the defense closer. You know more about defense than I do. I'll admit that. Um, I saw some really good things from the defense, but I want to get your perspective first. What were your thoughts on the Pittsburgh Steelers defense? Fast, physical, and disruptive, especially in the front seven. It was unfortunate that Cam Hayward went down with the mid-ankle sprain. Hopefully he'll be back week one. Uh, Reports suggest that he will. He says that he will. But they looked disruptive in the front seven, and I thought the secondary looked okay. Gave up the play in the red zone. Uh, you, you've got to play the ball. I don't know what Cockrell was going. He, he was kind of staring in the backfield on that play. But if that defense can play like that, you know, on a fast track against a Drew Brees, that's what they need in this. That's what they need this season. So I don't think they need the defense to be especially dominant. My one concern was, and that's a concern that we're going to break down. And I'm going to give you the task of it, Jeff. Your film study, guys. I'll take a look at it myself. But Jordan Reed down the scene in week one against Timmons as New Orleans was able to target uh, Timmons with Fleener and really attack him in the scenes. That's going to be an issue. That was my only issue in the game was that they looked a little soft in the scenes. They looked like they could get attacked by the tight end. But all defenses can't be everything unless you're an elite defense. But if that defense tackles a little bit better but continues to be disruptive and play very fast, I think we're going to be pleasantly surprised by that unit in the 2016-17 campaign. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, they're, they're super – they're aggressive. I think that's directly from their defensive coordinator. He is an aggressive play caller in terms of getting – his players in position to get after the quarterback. And I just hope that this year and Javon Hargrave, man, that guy has impressed me every time he gets on the field. I just really hope that this year the Steelers don't have to sell out with so many secondary blitzes because that can be a nightmare in the back end for a unit. That's just not that deep back there with safety and, and cornerback depth. But nonetheless, I ultimately think that the Pittsburgh Steelers defense, you saw that Friday night, the Steelers come out, boom, 7 nothing. They get a stop. They get the ball back, boom, 14 nothing. You have a two-score lead already, and they were not even out of the first quarter yet. Then all of a sudden, you go into, nah, they get that questionable touchdown uh, where I thought Mike Mitchell had a great hit on the play. It just turns out that uh, he ends up catching the bobble pass. What does Landry Jones do? Drives him down the field, gets another touchdown, 21-7. If you just get a few stops, guys, I mean, listeners out there, and there might be some women, I apologize for saying guys, but if, if they just get a couple stops, if they can get a turnover to a game, this team is going to be golden, period. Golden, because that's all they need. If that offense is churning. If they're just getting first downs and time-consuming drives that results in touchdowns and not field goals, 
you can give up a couple. You can give up a couple. You know what I mean? It's not that big of a deal. Um, overall thoughts moving forward with the defense, though, Lance. You talked about the seam. Are there any other concerns that you have? The young secondary. But 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 to your point, and we had the segment last week, and there was a guy who commented on his show about uh, you know one thing the Steelers will do. To, to win a Super Bowl, and he said, score more points than the other team. That's obvious. And that in health, uh, you, you know, the other thing is probably that 19, you know, that 19-9 number that they gave up last year. If they give any, up anywhere between 17 and 19 points, I think they can win a Super Bowl. You know, and when you're talking about stops, a stop is not necessarily, in my opinion, getting somebody off a of field. For this team, a stop might be limiting a team to a field goal. You know, for this type of offense, giving up threes and not seven, you know, give me – look, I, I'll, if a team scores four field goals, good luck beating them. You're probably not. You know, four field goals, that's great defense for them. If they give up five field goals, give up 15 points, that's even better. They give up three field goals and a touchdown, that's awesome. They're going to yeah. score probably 25, 26 against you. So with an offense like this, you you have to start looking at defense a little differently than what your defense is trying to accomplish. You just don't want your defense to get you blown out of games where you don't have a chance and your defense and your offense has to be hot and get you 35, 40 points. But it's nice to have an offense that can if your defense struggles. So – I think their approach is keep it in front. Let's be real good in the red zone. Let's continue to try to get turnovers. And this is how we're going to play it. We just need to keep this offense in the game so we have a chance and they can save us and get it done. And I I think that's an adjustment for Steeler fans. They're so used to you. The older fans are used to the 70s Steelers that were just suffocating on, on defense. Even the 90s fans had the Blitzburg defense that just got after the quarterback with just reckless abandon. And then you had the 2000 defensive units that were equally as dominant. 2008 might some consider as one of the best defenses in NFL history. And now all of a sudden people are saying, our defense doesn't have to be that good. I think that's just an adjustment for Steeler fans. They want their defense to be known as one of the best. And I, I think that it's, it is going to be just plain and simple they they just have to understand that the defense can just be middle of the road. Give me a if if, if you can give me a top ten, that's phenomenal. But give me ten to fifteen range overall defense. Give me a fifteen ranked pass defense. They're fine. Top ten against r- the rush, they will be fine in my opinion. But it's just one of those things. It's just going to be an a, an adjustment. The the Steelers fan base is looking at a different team, a really dominant offense. And it could be a mediocre defense, and that could be good enough to win. So let's get to some callers. Uh, if you want to call in, now's the time to do it. We do have, I think, let's see, four callers. Hopefully our technology is going to work for us here, and we'll be able to get everyone on the air. It's 347-850-8581. 347-850-8581 is the number to call when you call in. Uh, we're going to take one question from you, and then we're going to move on uh, in terms of keeping our time down so let's get on with it and we have our first caller who's been on the he's been on with us a lot we know who this is uh this is Vito from New Jersey how's it going Vito gentlemen good evening how are you Vito 
Paisan. Uh, hope you guys enjoying your final days of summer as we are getting ready for the season. I was reading a bunch of stuff today on Behind the Steel Curtain, and one of the things I kept reading and, and kept coming back to me was how good Ben Roethlisberger makes receivers. So hold that thought for a second, because that's my question tonight is, no matter who we had on the offensive line as far as receivers are concerned, because if you look back to all the receivers we have had since Ben has been there, how much better are these people because of him? What does he bring to the table, his leadership, his qualities, and just the way he could just thread the ball and put it in places where very few quarterbacks could do? That's what I was just thinking about. I was thinking about guys like Mike Wallace and, and Emmanuel Sanders and Antonio Brown and even guys before them that we had. You know, just how much better are they because of him and because of the chemistry and because of what he brings to the table and his leadership and just how good he is as a quarterback. You know, it's a symbiotic relationship between wide receiver and quarterback. And, you know, to be a great combination, it takes both of them have to be great. But you've got to put the – you know, you've got to put it more on the quarterback because the quarterback has the ball in his hands, can throw wide receivers open, or get them additional space when somebody's on their hip. He can put it in a tight window where they can only get it. And we see it all the time. You can get really good quarter or really good wide receiver, so to speak. A perfect example is Larry Fitzgerald. You know, Larry Fitzgerald is probably a first ballot Hall of Famer, but we saw Larry Fitzgerald really struggle uh, up in Arizona when they were going through Drew Stanton and all those other guys at the quarterback position, and we saw a resurgence from him when he got Carson Palmer. I mean, wide receivers need good quarterbacks to throw it to. Now, if you want to be a dominant quarterback, you can't just have bum wide receivers and be a top five guy. I mean, you, I mean, you have to be like a Brady type guy where you're arguably, you know, the goat at quarterback to continue to play at a high level. But definitely, I mean, wide receivers need very good quarterbacks to be very good players. You know, they have to bring their yeah. requisite skills to the table, but they need really good quarterbacks throwing them the ball. Well, and I'll give you the perfect example, and this is someone that Lance just mentioned. That's Mike Wallace, who was with the Pittsburgh Steelers from his rookie season throughout his first contract before leaving for the Miami Dolphins. And so here you have Ben Roethlisberger with a strong arm. He was able to put the ball up there, and he made a living off the deep pass when he was in the black and gold. Goes to Miami. Ryan Tannehill, most consider him to be a middle-of-the-road quarterback. He's not elite by any means, but he's not the worst quarterbacks in the league either. And they, they just couldn't get it going. They just didn't have that connection. Tannehill, I don't know if he didn't trust himself, didn't trust Wallace. It just wasn't the same. It just goes to show that, like Lance said, the quarterback can make a huge difference for the wide receiver. Um, and you look at Antonio Brown, even when Ben Roethlisberger wasn't in the lineup last year, whether it was Mike Vick or Landry Jones, there was a disconnect there. And Antonio Brown's the best in the business. And so when people think, oh, well, Antonio Brown can catch passes from anybody, but last year proved that, Ben Roethlisberger is different from everybody else, and so that might not be the case. But, uh, Vito, as always, we appreciate the phone call. We've got a lot of people to get to, so i got to let you go. Thank you, gentlemen. Enjoy. Have a great weekend. Yep. Hey, you too. Enjoy your Labor Day, Vito. All right, let's get the next caller on the air. Again, we're just doing one question and going, all right? Is that cool with you, Lance? Awesome. All right, here we go. Let's get this next caller on the air. It's been waiting the second longest, 803 
803-431-4869. You are on with Jeff and Lance. Go ahead. 803-431. You're on with Jeff and Lance. Go ahead. Next. He's not ready. Let's go. Not ready. We, nope. We got to be in. Not ready. So we're moving on. We got to be in mid Rapid fire. Bro. See you. <laughs> All right. Let's get this next caller that was on hold on the air. If the computer's going to work for me. There we go. Three four seven six zero five seven four seven three. Ron with Jeff and Lance. Go ahead. Hey, what's up, guys? This is uh, Ken calling from New Jersey. How you doing? What's up, Ken? Hey, what's going on? Nothing. Nothing. Yeah, I called a couple weeks ago. Um, good to be back on. So, actually, I actually want to talk about the third phase in special teams. Um, you know, Danny Smith is one of the most, you know, very much maligned and. Because the glamour, the glamour spot is the kick return, and you know we got Fitzgerald Toussaint back there, Sammy Coates, and we don't really get much um, in results from kick returning. However, I want to talk about the punts, and you know what he had to go through last year with Boswell and those kickers. I don't think he's getting enough credit. Um, I've been a Steeler fan all my life. I'm tired of seeing Sam Cook on the Ravens kick us. To, to the 10 from, you know, the 30-yard line, their own 30. Like, if we're, able, if we're able to flip the field the way Barry is doing this preseason, this dude is kicking 60-yard bombs. The guy's catching it, and he can, his momentum is taking him out of bounds. I've never seen that since probably, uh, who's the guy, Josh Miller? But he wasn't kicking 60. So whatever is in the Kool-Aid and the Danny Smith Kool-Aid, you know, they chose Berry over Brad Wing, and for a while last year, it wasn't looking like that was the right, you know, the right choice. But if that's, that's a hidden phase that I don't think we're really talking about, because if we got these guys back, uh, the 30 and back, with our fast defense, if we can get them off the field, you give this offense a shorter field, I think that's going to be a huge part of this season's uh, success. See, I can tell you're a very astute fan because I don't talk about special teams, and you got me. I, you caught me red-handed. I don't talk about special teams enough, but he is killing the ball during the game. I mean, he is hitting moonshots. And you're right. On, on this team, with an offense like this, if you can cheat it and get yards any way you can get them, with this type of offense where the red zone is probably from the 35 to goal line, 35 to goal is probably the red zone for this offense then you're going to score even more points. And, you know, as good as a pass rusher almost at times. You know, if you're if you're pinning guys inside the 20 consistently and you're making teams go to long field to score, what are they probably going to do? Not score touchdowns, and if they do score, it's going to be field goals. And we talked about it earlier with this team. If you score field goals, they're going to get you. So, that that that's an absolute great observation on on the punter for the Steelers because he's been doing a fantastic job. Well, let me say this about um, uh, Jordan Berry. His 2015 statistics are are kind of skewed. He was at the top of the league, I believe, in pinning people inside the 20. Um, he wasn't maybe as good as getting them deep inside the 20, but getting them inside the 20 was, was something he did very well. His yards per punt was not great, but 
he didn't have to punt the ball really far many times last year. There were very few times when Ben Roethlisberger was the quarterback that the team didn't get a first down and move the chains and kind of move towards midfield maybe before the drive stalled. Well, all of a sudden, now Barry doesn't have to just give it everything that he has. Now he's just trying to place the ball inside the 20. And I think what's poor about the situation, and it's unfortunate for Barry, is the last game we remember was probably his worst. And that was the punting at a- in the AFC Divisional game against Denver. He was atrocious that game. That was the game where they needed a couple really big punts. And they were doing it on the Denver side. And you're not seeing it happen on the Pittsburgh side. And whether that's the thin air in Denver, whether that has to do with um, the multitude of things that happen on the road, and especially at that altitude, I don't know. But um, I think Barry's fine. I think he's going to be good. And I think kudos, yeah, like you said, to Danny Smith. Although he does have his issues in terms of as a coach, and, and I think the return teams might need a little bit of work, ultimately I think he's done a good job. So that's a good observation. Uh, Kenny, hey, we thank you for the phone call. Thank you, guys. All right, take it easy. Enjoy your holiday weekend. All right, let's plow through some more callers here, Lance. Let me see who's on the hold the longest. Here we go. Next caller is, oh, come on, computer, work for me, 347-406-7201. You're on with Jeff and Lance. Go ahead. What's up, fellas? This is Bryce calling from Brooklyn. What's up, Bryce? (laughs) What's going on? Fellas, I only have one question. It's a little bit different from what we normally talk about. Ben Roethlisberger's comments about Colin Kaepernick, your thoughts? Uh, my my thoughts about the Kaepernick issue, look, he has a right to feel what he feels and say what he says. He's not um, breaking any rules, any laws, and neither is Ben by giving his opinion. But in this situation, this is one in which I think many people are sensitive about it, but it's one in which, uh, you know, people have a right to express themselves in this country. And, you know, we should be grown enough and big enough to listen to all people's opinions and take it with a grain of salt and move forward. That was, that was very diplomatic of you, Lance. I appreciate that. Um, we could get into an entire show on this topic. I don't want to do that. Um, but ultimately, I think the people sometimes just need to take the emotion out of the situation um, and step back and take a look at it from from what what is really trying to be done, what is really trying to be said, what is really trying to what what is the situation dictating, and then take a a stance if you choose. Um, I think some people are just way too emotional about it; they're way too knee jerk reaction to it. Um, there's more to it than just what's on face value. So if you want to look into it, do that on your own. Um, but Bryce, that that that's that's something you know. I wasn't sure if anyone's going to call and ask, and and you did. Uh, uh, I, I want to ask your take before I let you go. Um, you know, just before, yeah. I mean, look, I've always supported Ben on the field. Ben is a great quarterback. On this specific issue, Ben, like a lot of people, and Jeff, I like how you how you use your words. Ben, like a lot of people, it's funny that a lot of people want to step out now and talk about Colin Kaepernick, but none of these people have ever mentioned any of the points he made um, in the past about about bodies in the streets and what people have to go through in this country. They're, they're very quiet about that, but they're very loud about police dogs and supporting police dogs and, and oh, we got to support the flag and all of this stuff. So to me, to me Jeff, <clears throat> I'm with you. People need to step back, really check their motives, and really listen to what's being said before they just pop off and start talking. 
Absolutely. Yep, well, I think that, Bryce, we thank that, you. That is a mature Go ahead. response. Go ahead, Lance. That's, that's a mature response. And, you know, there's always going to be a faction of people that do stupid stuff like burn jerseys. You know, like that. You're an idiot. You know, we have constitutional protections that allow us to protest and voice our opinion in certain ways. Now, there's right. no freedom of consequences, so if he's willing to accept whatever consequence that may happen for him taking this stance, then so be it. I mean, that that's what we all want. I think our children, individuals we know, we want ourselves to be known, to be able to stand up for something that you believe in and deal with the consequences. That's called being a grown man, and that's called being an American. Yep, absolutely. Guys, real quick Amen. one. Uh, Sports Nation wrote an article about this. Check it out. They they responded to Drew Brees. And Ben could throw 100 interceptions, and I will not waste one iota of time burning a jersey. So I agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Bryce. Thanks for the phone call, man. I'm looking forward to the season. I'm sure we'll hear back from you. Yes, thanks, guys. All right, Lance, we have one more caller to get to, unless we get another caller, I guess. Uh, let's see if we can get this person on the air here. One second. Here we go. 832-256-6588. You're on with Jeff and Lance. Go ahead. What's up, Jeff and Lance? This is Melvin in Dallas. Uh, Melvin, how's it going? Uber night? Is it an Uber night Melvin. tonight? Melvin! <laughs> no, man, when, you, uh, when I got that tweet where you guys said y'all weren't going to be doing anything... Um, after the games anymore, you're going to do it the day after. I'm like, good, no more drunken rants by me after a win. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll, but, uh, we'll, talk about the, we'll talk about the programming uh, coming up for the season. I'm going to have an article on the website probably next week and uh, outline all the podcasts and all this stuff. So go ahead. What's your question? My question is this, uh, Jeff, you alluded to it earlier in the show about if the secondary, well, you said if the defense could be a top 15 defense or better, that we would be uh, sitting pretty. And I, when, uh, before you said that, I had made a note. But what do you think our defense's chances are of being a top 15 or better secondary and being a top 10 or better as far as handling offenses when they are in third and long. Because I think about times and some of the losses that we had when we just absolutely positively had to have a stop when it was third and 11, third and 12, third and 18, third and nine, defense our defense, be it uh, the, uh, the entire unit or the secondary itself, could not get off the field in the most important uh, and one of the most crucial points of the game. What, what do you guys think about that? Well, you said third and long, but I'll ask you, Melvin. Let me ask you this. I'm going to throw it back to you. Are we going to be a good enough run-stopping unit, and are we going to tackle well enough to get teams into third and long. You know, Very good question. Three yards, maybe, you know, you don't complete a pass on second down to get that third and seven. Are we going to be good enough to get teams third and long situations consistent? Especially I, think if, I think if, if, the, if opposing teams 
continue to look at us as a unit and say, hey, we can throw the ball all day on these guys. If we if we can end up getting to the point to where we can stop the pass, I don't I really don't think that we really have too much of a problem on the run because most a lot of the tackles that I've been noticing the most is those five yard outs, five yard slants, they make one miss and then they're and then you know, then they get up ten, fifteen yards. Now I'm I've, I've called a show last year. I think tackling had our tackling is fundamentally well. Fundamentally, I think tackling has just left the game of football altogether because you can't have pads. Just like when Vince Williams hit the hit the kid uh, in New Orleans and it was a fumble. I mean, when you get people to the point to where they they're almost afraid to tackle because of the penalties that they may get plus the IE fine that they're going to get. Tackling just in the league as a Whole, I think it's down. I, I think it's down way low. You can't, like I said, you can't. You can only have so many practices in pads due to the new CBA. You can't even if you do what we used to do—a form textbook tackle, face mask into the chest. That's going to be a penalty because the top of your helmet's going to hit him in the chin. So I really, you know, unless you get some of these rugby players where you can, oh, you can step to the side, grab them, and wrap them up. I don't, I don't think. Uh, I don't think tackling is going to be well in the league. But to address your point, I do think that we can stop the run and, and get them in those third and long if they choose to run. But if I'm an offensive coordinator playing against the Steelers, I'm going to make you stop me passing because it's obvious it's obvious that you have not been able to do it secondary-wise. I know we were up in turnovers. I know we were up in sacks uh, last year versus the year before. But I'm going to make, I'm going to make you beat me by making you make me run the football. That's just my opinion. Yeah, Melvin, I'll go ahead and say that I think that the Steelers' run defense is going to be just as good this year as it was last year. Um, And I think that the pressure they're going to be able to, hopefully, I hope with with Javon Hargrave, Stephon Tewitt looks like a freak right now. I mean, I think he could be set up for a really big season if Cam Hayward can come back healthy. And even Ricardo Matthews has shown sparks in the preseason when he's been on the field. I'm hopeful that they can get pressure on the quarterback with their front seven, not have to blitz a ridiculous amount that they had, like they had to in 2015, and be able to pressure mm-hmm. the quarterback without without keeping their sec with keeping their secondary back where they belong. If you think back, I mean, last year Will Allen had four sacks, and I don't think he had registered more than one sack in his career in one season. That's how often they were blitzing him. I mean, it just didn't seem natural when your secondary is that porous to send that many blitzers from the secondary, but that was Keith Butler's answer. Let's hope that this year they don't have to sell out that much because I agree with you, third down and long is not comfortable. There was a time when if it was more than third and five, you knew that they probably weren't going to get the first down because the defense was that suffocating. But I don't know that this – actually, I should say I know that this defense isn't that way, but they could be good enough if that front – like Hargrave has looked good, Cam Hayward too. If they can get after the quarterback, get him off his spot, there's a good good chance good things will happen. So that's what I think. But, uh, Melvin, I look forward to hearing more from you throughout the season. Thanks for calling. Yeah, guys. Go Steelers. That's Go right, Steelers. buddy. Go Steelers. Hey, we're, all, we're, almost, we're almost here to real football. So, Lance, we're out of we're, we're done with the callers. We had, we had a lot. We had a lot of good callers tonight. Um, what were your thoughts? Uh, what do you want to say to the folks out there before we uh, head off the air? It's almost time. September 12th. Is fastly approaching. I would say to all the Steelers fans, 
do not watch game four unless you want to watch Artie Burns, uh, try to play some football. Other than that, man, have a safe holiday. Uh, eat plenty of barbecue. Have some Budweiser. And, and just get ready for an entertaining campaign, man, because, you know, I hate to read too much into it, man, but if that offense is anything like we saw against New Orleans, it's going to be real funny. And as Terrell always used to say, get your popcorn ready. And that's what I'm talking about right there. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. And uh, I, I would be remiss to not say, uh, obviously, thank you for your time. But everyone out there listening, if you, you just caught the podcast, whether it's through a search or through Blog Talk Radio, be sure to check out our website, BehindTheSteelCurtain.com. Tomorrow, Thursday, the game day, we're going to have a lot of good stuff for you. Film room on Eli Rogers. We're going to have the breakdown of how you can catch the game if you don't have it in your in your area. Uh, we will even have um, five players offensively and defensively, defensively to watch players that are going to be on the bubble for making the 53-man roster. And then, of course, we're going to have all the breakdowns after the game. So thanks for listening. We appreciate it. We'll see you next Wednesday for another episode of The Standard of the Standard for your Lance. I'm Jeff. We'll see you later. Bye. Hi, I'm Karis Fisher. I want to tell you about another podcast you should check out. It's called Recode Decode. Every week I talk to tech and media's key players about how they're changing our world. I interview tech executives like Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, political figures like Hillary Clinton, and media personalities like John Carreyou, who literally wrote the book on Theranos. Once again, the name of the show is Recode Decode, hosted by me, Kara Swisher. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. See you there.